you want victory, you can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. Thanks for tuning in to Abiding in Christ. On the program today, we have the conclusion of a segment that we began last time. Our hope is that you'll find it challenging and informative and that you'll listen to it with the knowledge that you can have full confidence in Christ, trusting Him as Savior and Lord. We also ask that as you listen, you prayerfully consider coming alongside Wares Valley Ranch and supporting this ministry to children in crisis through a tax-deductible donation. To find out more about how you can help, call us at 866-41-ABIDE or visit us online at wvr.org. Again, thanks for listening, and now we join the broadcast. The people believed the enemy's lie, and because they thought God was against them, hated them, they were afraid, and they disobeyed. Then we see still in Deuteronomy chapter 1, a foolish, fleshly repentance. Look at verse 34 through 46. When the Lord heard your words, he grew angry and swore an oath, none of these men in this evil generation will see the good land I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Look at verse 37. The Lord was angry with me also because of you and said, you will not enter there either. Joshua, son of Nun, who attends you, will enter it. Encourage him, for he will enable Israel to inherit it. Your children, whom you said would be plunder, your sons who don't yet know good from evil, will enter there. I will give them the land, and they will take possession of it. But you are to turn back and head for the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. You answered me, verse 41, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commands us. Then each of you put on his weapons of war and thought it would be easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, tell them, don't go up and fight, for I am not with you to keep you from being defeated by your enemies. So I spoke to you, but you didn't listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command and defiantly went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived there came out against you and chased you like a swarm of bees. They routed you from Seir as far as Hormah. When you returned, you wept before the Lord, but he didn't listen to your requests or pay attention to you. For this reason, you stayed in Kadesh as long as you did. Well, okay, the people sinned by not doing what God said. And so then God said, you're not going to enter into the land. So what did they do? They said, oh, we are sorry, we were wrong, now we'll do what you command us. And they didn't do what God commanded because they still didn't believe his word. When he said, you're not going to enter in, they thought, yeah, we will. 
When he said, I will not go with you, they thought, we can handle it. Foolish, fleshly repentance, seeking to do what God had commanded in their own strength. Let me tell you something. You and I cannot do what God commands in our own strength. Can't do it. Because your problem's not just on the outside, it's on the inside. We need God to transform us. Cast yourself upon his mercy and ask for him to change you from the inside out. That's your only hope. Holiness comes from him. But these folks thought they could do it themselves. They were still refusing to listen and obey. God spoke to them and said, this is what you're to do. They disobeyed and they suffered greatly as a result. That is not real repentance. And so what follows in chapters 2 and 3 is a long journey to the grave. What were they doing? Well, look at verses 1 through 15 of chapter 2. Then we turned back and headed for the wilderness by way of the Red Sea, as the Lord had told me. And we traveled around the hill country of Seir for many days. The Lord then said to me, you've been traveling around the hill country long enough. Turn north. Command the people. You're about to travel through the territory of your brothers, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. They will be afraid of you, so be very careful. Don't provoke them, for I will not give you any of their land, not even a foot of it because I have given Esau the hill country of Seir as his possession. You may purchase food from them so that you may eat and buy water from them to drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this immense wilderness. The Lord your God has been with you this past 40 years and you have lacked nothing. So we bypassed our brothers, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. We turned away from the Arabah road and from Elith and Ezion Geber, we traveled along the road to the wilderness of Moab. The Lord said to me, show no hostility toward Moab and do not provoke them to battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, since I have given Ar as a possession to the descendants of Lot. The Amim, a great and numerous people, as tall as the Anakim had previously lived there, they were also regarded as Rephaim, like the Anakim, though the Moabites called them Emim. The Horites had previously lived in Seir, but the descendants of Esau drove them out, destroying them completely and settling in their place, just as Israel did in the land of its possession the Lord gave them. And the Lord said, now, get up and cross the Zered Valley. So we crossed the Zered Valley. The time we spent traveling from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Zered Valley was 38 years until the entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. Indeed, the Lord's hand was against them to eliminate them from the camp until they had all perished. Folks, let me take just a moment to encourage you to go on the internet and visit the website of Wares Valley Ranch. For over 20 years, the ranch has provided a loving home environment for children who have a problem that they did not create. It may be a health crisis on the part of a parent or even the death of a parent. Often, it's the death of a marriage, leaving a single parent struggling to care for the children while working one or more jobs to provide for their support. 
Sometimes it's a parent who struggles with alcohol or drug addiction, or even a case where one or both parents are in prison. These children are not the problem. They're not delinquents. They're simply caught in difficult circumstances. I hope you'll help us provide these little ones with the opportunity for hope and healing in a Christ-centered environment. You may know a child that needs our services as well. Please visit WVR to learn more. That's WVR.org. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown Where Jesus is And he's holding out his hand That is a sad story. What are you going to do the next 38 years? Wait to die. God had said, go in and take possession of what I promised. They said no. And God didn't just strike them down. God led them, told them, go here now, go here. God led them, even as he waited on them to die. And what is utterly amazing is that in the midst of it all, look at this in verse 7. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He's watched over your journey through this immense wilderness. The Lord your God has been with you this past 40 years and you've lacked nothing. Wow. 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. That's one of the things that happened. It was a miracle. God took care of his people. He fed them in a place where there was no food. God provided for them. God led them. And God waited until all of them died. A whole generation. Moses is now speaking to those who had grown up during that time. There's now a new generation of adults. And one of the things you and I need to understand is that it only takes one generation to lose it. The fellow who holds the endowed chair of ethics at Princeton today is a man by the name of Peter Singer. I've interviewed him on my radio broadcast. He's a Jewish atheist who believes that it's not only okay to have an abortion, but that if your child is born with handicaps or develop some sort of problem after they're born, and it turns out to be a real burden on the family, it's ethical to kill the child. He's the ethicist who did the article for the Encyclopedia Britannica on ethics. And if you study ethics at any American university or at a place like Cambridge or Oxford, Peter Singer will be one of the main people you'll have to study because he is the expert on ethics. So when the government says they've consulted with leading ethicists, don't take any comfort in it because the people who are supposed to be minding the hen house are foxes. Let me just tell you, that's not a reason to be depressed. It's a reason to be faithful because our job is to pass the baton to the next generation and we can't be focused on other things. It is imperative that we faithfully model for them what obedience looks like. So, God 
waited until they died. But even in this, he was gracious. As a side note, please notice that God cared for the other nations. God wasn't just doing something with the Jews. As he leads them into the threshold of the promised land, he says, I'm not going to give you even a foot of Esau's territory because I gave that to them. And you're not to mess with the descendants of Lot because I gave this property to them. Do you remember how Lot's descendants came along? It's a hideous story of incest. And yet God chose to redeem and to bless because God's blessings are not based on us. That's why we need to be looking to see what he says and to do what he says. Trust in him and obey. But God had said generations before that he was going to bring judgment on the Amorites and he said, not now because their evil has not reached its full extent. God saw what was coming, and even as he would wait for these people to die, he had waited for multiple generations for the evil of the Amorites to reach its peak. And now is the time, and God sends his people in there not only to bless them with the promised land, but to be his agents of judgment, wiping out a violent, demonized people who hated truth and who lived for their own pleasure. That should serve as a warning because let me tell you, if you were an Amorite, you had no idea what was coming. And so the final thing we see in these chapters is that God begins to give them success in fighting battles. And they have to go up against some really scary foes. The spies, a generation earlier, had said that these guys are taller than we are. We'll take a look at chapter 3, verse 8. At that time, we took the land from the two Amorite kings across the Jordan, from the Arnon Valley as far as Mount Hermon, which the Sidonians call Syrian, the Amorites call Sinir. All the cities of the plateau, Gilead and Bashan, as far as Seleka and Idri, cities of Og's kingdom in Bashan. Only King Og of Bashan was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. His bed was made from iron. Isn't it in Rabbah of the Ammonites? It is 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide by a standard measure. 13 and a, is that a California king? No, that's a Amorite king. 13 and a half feet long. Six feet wide. He had an iron bed that was huge because he was a giant of a man. And you know what happened? He was the only one of those descendants that were still around. God cut him down to size, let's say. God destroyed the Amorites. And he used his people to do it. And it prepared them for future battles. Now this is very important because training a new generation to trust and obey 
requires battles. I said, we've got to pass the baton to the next generation. In order to pass the baton to the next generation, we can't just put a down comforter everywhere they might step. Well, I don't want my kids to go through anything difficult. Well, I don't want my children to ever be uncomfortable or I don't want them to grow up like I did. That was the mantra of people in the 50s. Okay? They wanted their kids to have it easier than they had it. And so we had the 60s. And anybody who remembers the 60s or has studied history knows that if you try to pamper your kids and make sure they never fall down and scrape their knee, you are not doing them favors. And you know what's happened since then? It's gotten worse. In our culture, both in secular society and in the church, there are tons of people who are terrified at the prospect of their children ever having to face anything difficult. I had a woman when I was pastoring in Atlanta who said to me, please let us know ahead of time if you're going to talk about the devil or demons or anything like that. I don't want my children exposed to that. Her husband was a famous Christian leader, but she wanted to protect her kids from the negative stuff. Tragic. Their son died of an overdose. Because when you try and protect your kids from the truth, you're not doing them any favors. And when you try and make sure that they will never have to go to war, you forget that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this present age and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Please memorize that verse. You can't opt out. You can't say, no, we're, you know, we're just, I just, I just want a peaceful life. Doesn't work that way. There's a war on. And so you need to equip your children to be warriors for Christ. Not people who run out and attack their neighbors. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. You understand? Your kids need to understand that. The warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the mainstream media. The mainstream media is a pawn of principalities and powers. But don't go for the pawn. Bind the strong man. Stand against the enemy. Well, how do I do that? Trust and obey. Model for your kids what it looks like to live fearlessly in obedience to God. Well, I can't help it. Sometimes I get nervous. It doesn't say you can't be nervous. It says you must obey. You do what God says because you know that God's word is true. And so our life is predicated on the promises of God, not on how our digestion is doing. Amen? When I look back at what happened, one of the things in this passage we don't really have time to deal with at length, but I want you to see it. How great a guy was Moses? I mean, pretty impressive, right? Look at chapter 1, verse 37. The Lord was angry with me also because of you, 
and said, you will not enter there either. Joshua, son of Nun, who attends you, will enter it. The Lord was angry with me also because of you. He says that twice in these three chapters. Look at verse 26 of chapter 3. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. When would he listen? When Moses is begging the Lord, please let me enter into the promised land. The Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. The Lord said to me, that's enough. Do not speak to me again about this matter. Go to the top of Pisgah and look to the west, north, south, and east and see it with your own eyes, for you will not cross the Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will cross over ahead of the people and enable them to inherit this land that you will see. So he stayed in the valley facing Beth Peor. What's that about? Well, the verses just before it, verses 23 through 25, at that time I begged the Lord, Lord God, you have begun to show your greatness and your strong hand to your servant for what God is there in heaven or on earth who can perform deeds and mighty acts like yours. Please let me cross over and see the beautiful land on the other side of the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. Moses was a great man, great prophet. And a lot of times he got it right. But the reason he didn't get to enter into the promised land is not just because God was angry with him because of them. That's the way Moses liked to frame it. That's the way he remembered it. Because the people had made Moses so upset that he disobeyed God. Say, well, uh, so are you saying that's an error in the Bible? No, this is an inerrant record of what Moses said to the people. But if you look at chapter 32, verse 51, God corrects the record before the book of Deuteronomy ends. God makes it clear, you weren't kept out of the promised land because I was angry with them. They were kept out of the promised land because I was angry with them. You were kept out of the promised land because I was angry with you because you disobeyed me. Moses, I mean, come on, Moses, who can blame him for getting upset? God. Well, isn't it okay to get upset sometimes if people are being wicked? Yes, but it's not okay to be wicked because you're upset that they're being wicked. And what Moses had done was to disobey God in a way that was more significant than Moses could even comprehend. God said, speak to the rock. The rock had already been struck. Water had come. And now he's told again, this time, instead of striking the rock, you're to speak to the rock. But Moses struck the rock twice. Not okay. Why? Because we read in 1 Corinthians, Jesus was that rock. And let me tell you something about what Jesus did at the cross. It was once and for all. And this was a picture, just as when we take communion, it is a picture of what Jesus did for us. Every time they celebrated Passover, without knowing it, they were showing a picture of the Passover lamb, our Lord Jesus, who was slain for our forgiveness so that we could have life. 
So Jesus explained it to them. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. All of you are to drink of it. Moses didn't know that God was painting a picture. He just knew that God had said, speak to the rock and the water will come. And Moses, instead of doing what God commanded, did what he had done before. When he did it before, it was in obedience. When he did it a second time, it was in disobedience. Don't just do what's familiar. Don't just do what's comfortable. Do what God says. Obey him. And because of Moses' disobedience, God said, you're not going to enter the promised land either. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.